0: Welcome to another mailbag episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. I'm Adam, and with me today are Terry and Kyle. And we are sitting down to go over a bunch of questions that you guys have for us. 20 questions, as a matter of fact. It's a D20 table, and we're gonna go through them in order. Uh, the way that this works, in case you haven't listened to any of the other couple dozen of these that we've done so far. If this is your first one, buckle up. Uh yes. we send you know, we're gonna we always answer whatever you send us. Uh no holds barred, although there really fucking should be. Uh, and the I used only- to
1: resist it a bit more. I used to resist it. I was like, I I just don't want to hit this face on. I'm going to end up getting in trouble or something. And now I'm like, I think I've learned how to deal with it a bit more. So
0: Well, like- I'm you're always- almost hoping to be cancelled. <laughs> I, I remember the first few were like, what's your favorite sex position and shit? And like, you remember the look on Dan's face and how he was like bright red and we made him answer the question before we just like skirted it and ran away and mocked yeah. Him it
1: Yeah, but unfortunately, the internet is forever. So then he's like, well, that's, there you go. There's that, so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now he doesn't do the podcast anymore. I'm sure it's unrelated. So we are going to do it a little bit differently than we normally do. Uh, the only rule is that we will Definitely answer patron questions uh, that have come in. And then uh, whatever else ends up on our subreddit. And then the pinned thread for the uh, mailbag questions. Which I guess I should actually refresh here soon. So anyway, if you have other questions. If you would like us to elaborate on more shit that we talk about today. Or there's anything you want to talk about. Hopefully d d Preferably pop culture. But really we will do our best to answer anything. Make sure that you can uh, reach out through... Reddit, uh, the subreddit is at It's a Mimic. And of course, there's our patron uh, discord for uh, for all the Patreon subscribers. So let's jump into it. Let's roll dice and see who's going to have to answer first. We'll re-roll a couple times as we go through the episode. But.
1: Right, okay.
0: Oh, that one. Six. Seventeen. Kyle, you are in the, the danger zone right now. Oh, the, the hot seat. <laughs> all right. So the very first question is from Digly Blue Moonyaw. And it says, on an episode a long time ago, someone said that they eat dragon hearts to buff max hit points for characters. Mm -hmm. I added that to my game and also the idea that you could scry on kobolds by using a dragon eyeball like a crystal ball. What would you have dragon horns, dragon scales, or dragon tongues do to make the game more interesting?
1: Ah... This is a good question. This is one of those questions where it deserves more
0: time, right? Uh, There was a question for horns, scales, or tongues. Let's each pick one, and Kyle, you get to go first because you rolled the highest, so. Right. Mm,
2: Okay, let's go. Let's go horns because that's a different one. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know what? I would turn it into a horn, like, (laughs) Uh, so you could summon things. Like maybe the spirit of the dragon. That's cool. It's like a summoning horn for what? Like a, like a ghost dragon. Yeah. Like the ghost of the dragon, like you blow into the horn and then it summons the soul back from whatever kind of afterlife the dragons
0: have. That's pretty cool. I like that. Um, I think that for, I'm going to do, I mean, the scales, I guess I'll do. So Terry, you're on tongues. Um, Uh, uh, for dragon scales, I've actually had uh, Dragon Scale show up as a guitar pick for a bard, which gave them uh, bonuses on all of the social, the role-playing skills. Whenever they were playing their guitar, they could persuade or intimidate because of the, there'd be a big charisma boost. So they would have advantage if they were using the Dragon Scale as a guitar pick. But, I mean, that was from a, like, young dragon. By the time that you hit ancient or great worm, I figure those things are as big as shields, right? Yeah, I was
2: wondering about that. Like, did they cut it out? Nope, they just murdered a baby dragon.
0: Yeah, they they just straight up murdered a young dragon, yes. I guess, yeah, like, I mean, the answer is armor, right? And then I would just tie it Mm -hmm. to whatever the breath weapon element is, right? And then you would have resistance to that. So maybe you have to attune to it and you get resistance... A certain number of times equal to your proficiency modifier so that it's not always active right but you can pop that off if you desperately need to all right i was thinking like uh using it as to build like a ship out of as well oh that'd be good especially one of the swimming dragons yeah oh and then like like the sail is made out of a wing oh yeah that's a good one well that'd be terrifying Terry, what do you have for uh dragon tongues?
1: Oh, tongues is so t- I mean what's the right answer here? I mean, it's it's trying to get you to do the breath weapon, right? And I feel like what I started using as draconic gifts the uh something associated specifically with that dragon. So if you kill a black dragon, you can be amphibious for a minute once uh you know, once, once a day. I feel like you could tie that to the tongue. You could make that connection. I'll do
0: that. Yeah, I think the other obvious answer is you can speak Draconic. But, I mean, all my players right. already do because it's one of the three yeah. languages they always pick.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or maybe you learn the languages that the dragon knew.
0: Oh, that'd be good.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'll amend my answer to that.
2: <laughs> um, what if you, like, replaced your tongue with
0: the dragons? First of Were all, able to... First of all, how would that fit in your mouth? Yeah. Well, the
2: same thing like the guitar pick. Like, you do it to a youngling dragon.
0: Yeah, okay. Or cut
2: it down. But I
0: mean, yeah, you can speak with the dragon's voice so you get better intimidation checks. What's the... Thaumaturgy means that you can, like, have a big, booming voice. I think one of yeah. the draconic gifts yeah. from biz bands is something like that, where you can project your voice and command a room. So I would just mm-hmm. give them that if they were to slap a dragon tongue in their mouth.
1: I had... What is it called? I think it's called a shield of yelling or shield of crying or something, where it, it it's it's a magic item that cries out. I did it as a shield of roaring in my campaign, so it was a dragon roar from from. Oh, the that's shield. cool. I
0: like that. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's move on. King of Rot says, I think we all agree that dragons, clearly all of these questions came in. Like I, I, you're going to see that there's some themes here that obviously people heard an episode and inspired a couple of people. Yeah. King of Rot says, I think we all agree that dragons in their dragon form can use their front limbs as arms and hands. That being said, I feel that there's nothing stopping them from wielding really cool swords. Like big hunks of sharp steel probably aren't super useful for a dragon because that seems clunky to me but maybe you haven't considered magic super swords or just magical weapons in general. Then he says, my guys, gals, and non-binary pals, I present you an ancient dragon wielding an Imperium's Imperium's Maul. Will my players hate me if I do this? Should I do it anyway? I love it. I I always (laughs) love the idea (laughs) of a dragon just picking up a giant's weapon and going to fucking town, right? Like, I think it's really neat.
1: Yeah, and why not? I feel a blue dragon would do that. That fits right in with a blue dragon character as well.
0: Bronze as well.
1: Yeah. It's I absolutely love it, and don't stop at sword. Basically, you can do any weapon, can't you? You could make it work.
0: I love right. the idea of an ancient dragon picking up a ballista and using it like a crossbow.
1: This is you. I'm running a dragon campaign. This is next week. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm learning from this podcast, people.
0: <laughs> Kyle, uh,
2: if I was okay, so personally, I I don't I wouldn't use it because it just it feels awkward for their physiology you know that they because you don't really see a dragon standing on hind limbs you did a lot
0: in the artwork for in previous editions but you're right we don't get that so much in fifth ed there's some but there's not a lot yeah i mean don't
2: get me wrong i think you should king of rod should totally do it like yeah fuck them up with a big hammer uh I don't think I would. I also just, I don't know, my personal view on dragons is that they would disdain picking up a weapon because they've got all they need with their claws and their hands and their magic.
0: Yeah, like, you feel like that would, that would sully the draconic nature of a red dragon's ego. Yeah. Right? Right. To use a humanoid's weapon. Yeah, that, that's what my food does. All right, um, we're out. I would, I would still, I would still do it. I think it would be a really cool set piece to have them pick up a gigantic fucking like off of one of the massive statues, like a colossus, yeah. right, that hang. Right. They pick it up and swing it once, then let it go and go do the dragon thing. But I just yeah. think it'd be a yeah. really cool fuck off, awesome set piece moment. Okay, I, you know, I, I can see them throwing a weapon,
2: yeah, but not wielding it. Right, like there's a castle that they want to knock down, so they'll take that colossus sword and then just hawk it and just obliterate a tower. Uh,
0: yeah, I feel like it's almost more likely that they will pick up the whole damn Colossus and drop it from 500 feet. Yeah. yeah. There we go, Terry. Another conversation where we're just picking up and dropping shit from dragons. I don't
1: bring it up anymore. I think I no, said it I twice. know That
0: one just came naturally. I've defended myself
1: so many times. but well, I'm going to do it one more time. <laughs> said it twice. It was a single part of the larger plan, which was, I think there was like water involved in one or something, and then at the end of it was drown them. It's been a different
0: thing, you guys. It's just such a good idea that people don't think about, right? Like, right. the other one that, uh, it, it gets traction every once in a while in a comment or a discussion that I see. Um, uh, people will bring up what we said about white dragons, where they swim and they hang up by ice floes. They would get underneath you, swim under, and blast their breath weapon up like geysers yeah. through the ice. Like, it's mm-hmm. such a good idea that people don't think about. Um, yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while, we will come up with a stroke of genius, uh, co- usually completely by fucking accident. You talk enough, <laughs> and uh, and something good will happen. And, uh, but, but that one, I think, is probably the most famous good idea that we've had about dragons. Okay, I have something like that. Okay, do you
2: know how orcas hunt seals in the Arctic? Yeah. What they'll do is they'll swim together as a pod and create a wave. When they're like on an ice floe, so the wave will come up, wash the seals off it, or they'll like tip over the whole ice floe with the seals on it. It's I, they're I,
1: they're nasty. I've yeah, seen not a video
0: nice. of that, and it's wild.
1: And and we're we're because we're Vancouverites, it's uh, it's pretty common here. Orcas, we it's literally our hawk, our hockey team. But yeah,
0: so uh, well, I went a whale watching. I can't remember it was it last? No, it was twenty nineteen. We did a big whale watching thing, and it was epic. It was amazing.
1: Yeah. It's so cool.
0: Uh, the next question, Terror Pickle asks, "What is the recipe for the food, the main dish, or baked good that you cook the best? What's your signature piece?" The food, signature
1: dish. You know what I, I'm pretty good with is I don't know. I don't know. What I'm exceptional. Like I can cook. Like you know, I get the barbecue going, and get some chicken breast on there, and make it taste good, and then I can whip up a summer salad with some you know some nuts and some strawberries and stuff like I can I eat like an adult but I don't think I have nah. like a signature you know I was just gonna exactly what I just said like I can cook for myself but I
2: don't know yeah. you're British nobody expects much from you
0: yeah yeah to so, work a pub that's how that worked
2: right yeah
0: yeah Kyle what was your what's your signature cooking piece
2: uh okay so normally if I'm going to like a party where I have to bring something I will make a bruschetta with no. goat cheese and balsamic reduction. Uh, but I did just make like this amazing beef and barley stew the other day. Still thinking about it.
0: <laughs> my uh my signature go-to dish. So Mieka is on record as absolutely fucking hating noodles and anything pasta related, uh, unless I cook it because I make a fucking mean uh tomato sauce. And uh <laughs> I yeah, I dress it up. I'm a big believer in in pull the meat out of your sauce and make it just be veggies only but mm-hmm. a vegetarian doesn't mean like vegan or organic or anything. I'm just like zucchini and, and like, depending on the mood I'm in, I'll even throw corn in some, some of the time into the sauce. But like, I, I have perfected that. I was, look, I lived below the poverty line for a number of years. I learned how to make pasta go far. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, wow. uh, I've learned how to spice it. I got to say that's probably the best thing that I'm at that, that I can do. That's good. The, I That's think great, you cause... need
1: to be able to you need to be able to cook when you're in your 30s for sure. Yep. Adam, I know you just turned 40, but I still include you in this conversation. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> but you got something suspicious about a guy in his 30s that can't cook anything at all. It's uh, it's not good. Yeah, you know the no.
0: story? I think Dan has said has told the story on the podcast before, but he when he was in his twenties, he ordered from Domino's pizza every day like clockwork for like literally months. And there came a point where he decided you want to learn how to cook, and he stopped ordering pizza. The pizza place called him and said, hey, we didn't get your order today. Is everything okay? (laughs) They did a wellness check on him. So (laughs) – Total sidebar, Dan is one of the best cooks I know, and he actually worked in a kitchen for a while. So, like I'm not throwing shade at Dan on that, but that's such a twenty year old thing to do.
1: Just a good story. Dan's a diamond. That's hilarious.
0: Good on him for turning it around, you know?
2: Like I'm proud of him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's also important, right? Yeah.
0: I'm I actually I wonder how much that lines up with the release of World of Warcraft.
1: it wasn't a big life-changing decision there was just <laughs> something else unhealthy that became a new vice
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um our next question is from Iron Mag 44 what's your top three picks for non-wizards of the coast source or inspiration books or pdfs for more inspiration and help for developing a more unique dnd experience Oh, man. I Actually,
2: I'm really glad about this question because I totally forgot about it, but Grim Hollow.
0: Yes. Oh,
2: that thing is great. Grim-ho- Hands down. I love fucked up, weird-ass monsters. That's a
1: game, Grim Hollow? Sorry, I don't know Grim Hollow. What is Grim Hollow?
0: No, it, it's third-party. Um, It's a third-party book that's just like... I, it, I remember being built for previous editions but it, like the fifth edition one is awesome they're just totally fucked up creatures and uh right, and okay okay i believe some people have made minis of them like you can 3d print the minis of these creepy gross creatures but it's very very dark and horror yeah right right okay nice makes me think you of kind of, of like we loft yeah yeah
1: i you know i, I think for me for one which i'm using more and more all the time now and it can do we consider him mainstream at this point is matt colville i think his his books are are fantastic and i'm running a a dragon war right now so strongholds and followers uh i've been using especially it's fantastic i believe he's done so well We i now consider him mainstream
0: (laughs) yeah i consider him to be what like there's wizards of the coast and then the mats right there's two of them There's, there's mercer and colville right um I guess the other one that I normally would pitch here would be Keith Amon's, um, he's got a website, but he extrapolated to a great degree in a number of books. Um, the monsters know what they're doing and
2: you've told me about this one before.
0: Yeah. These books are phenomenal for breaking down the stats and the abilities and what they mean. It's not your standard book. Like it, it looks like a novel on my shelf you open it up. It reads like a textbook, but you can go to the monster that you want and in a page and a half, it will tell you the difference between a goblin and a hobgoblin and a nilbog and a bugbear and a bugbear chief and a goblin boss and a, and like he breaks it all down and says, Hey, this one is going to act this way because of its intelligence. It'll retreat at roughly this level because of its, if it has pack tactics, then you need to watch how many other people or other creatures or allies are on the battlefield before it's going to change the tactics to then focus on this. And like, he really extrapolates and breaks down everything. The first book is the monster manual. The second book is Volos and tome of Foes. And uh, this third book is about um, playing all of the subclasses in the player's handbook. And the fourth Mm -hmm. book is how to run layers. And it is the most strategic shit. I like to use it against uh, my players on a regular basis I showed Megan this book and she actually sat in on a legend lore where we broke down these books and she loved it. Um, it gave her a lot more confidence as well, breaking down stat blocks for the podcast. But the really cool thing about it is that most people don't know what's out there and it's just a wealth of information and he deserves your money. It's like, it exists in bookstores. So I, I have bought mine off of a shelf and I haven't ordered them right. Like they're they're out there. They sit in the gaming section of your, you know, big bookstore, and nobody buys it. They're really fucking good. Wow. Mm-hmm. I think the next question is uh, Iron Meg Forty Four again asks: Have the Mimics tried the WizKids Kids game on slot? If so, how do they feel about the game? And will you, or will you not, incorporate the mechanics into your campaigns? Um, or why will you not? Have you guys played this? Hell, disclosure. Never heard of it. Uh, I haven't played it. I looked into it. It looks amazing. I watched a video on it. It looked really, really cool. We used to do board games on Friday nights. It turned into Call of Cthulhu, and we're on hiatus. I think probably till the new year. I would love to bust out this one and really sink my teeth into that uh, that Dragonlance one as well. That was about running okay. armies and things. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, as soon as as soon as we can get uh, you know the three of us and uh, Dave and James and Sean together, like we should sit down and dig into some of this shit again. I think it'd be fun. Okay. Yeah, I'd be down.
1: We should put a poll out or something and see if we can get a day. We can find a day.
0: That would be a really good idea. Like sit down at like noon and and just just give her on a Saturday.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. Tarzan of the Desert says, I know as a whole, the members of the podcast aren't min-maxers, but what are your what are some of your favorite multi-class slash cross-class characters that you played? And what ideas do you have for the future?
2: My favorite one was a
0: sorcerer warlock. Why? Uh
2: I don't know. I think it was because I was like super proud of the backstory that I wrote for it. And it was like the changeling sorcerer warlock that I just had a lot of fun playing. I don't know. I love me some. I liked how, you know, uh the charisma, like what's no, the so definite synergy? Yeah, synergy. Yeah. Thank you. Uh yeah, the really good synergy, you know, lots of fun. Uh there's great warlock subclasses that you get straight at level one. So you don't have to dig too deep into it. Uh and yeah, I just like both of those things. <laughs> wow. Kyle, you're so much more
1: well versed in this than I am. I'm such a purist. I never play multi-class characters. I um I like a specialist, right? But I suppose I have once technically I had a champion fighter Titus who had one level in warlock, which forced was forced on, on
0: you me, for plot reasons, yeah. Forced on me for
1: plot reasons that <laughs> I probably knew I would just go along with. I <laughs> go, <Going>, all right, <laughs> let's do it. Um but I did I enjoyed it. I got to cast hex and I got to add that on top of all of my attacks and all of my other extra cool stuff I was getting from my fighter character, and it just got a you know a, a little bit of variety in there. So I don't have advice on how to make the best one. One of my favorites was um, I'm scared to go into it because then I'll like it. And I don't want to be. I want to remain a purist. That's not open-minded at all. I know.
0: But... No.
2: <laughs>
1: I'm afraid. <laughs> just, don't do that in life. You know.
0: <laughs> I don't know, man. Like in life, that's how you're supposed to do it. If you just go kind of general, then I mean you're okay and you'll you'll never be out of work. But if you're a specialist, you will make the big bucks because that's how that's how the corporate world works these days is everyone right. needs to be real good at one thing.
1: Yeah, you better hope that thing stays around as well.
0: <laughs> um I think that my the most fun I ever had was playing my gloom stalker assassin combo because it was all about shadows and what can I get off, what attack can I do in the very first round of combat afterwards i'm okay i'm average but that first round i was killing boss monsters in one hit right and if you Uh. i I threw i think alert on top of it as well the feet alert so i was never surprised and uh i like i really committed to this one i the idea of once in every encounter i'm going to get off A massive attack is going to kill somebody in one hit, and it's going to be badass, and I'm going to stick to the shadows. So Gloomstalker Ranger plus the Assassin Rogue had some really phenomenal synergy on it uh, to the point where I was clearly leagues beyond everybody else at the table. They were also a bunch of new players, and so they were not able to keep up um, at the best of times. But it was so effective that at one point I realized I was hogging all of the kills and so i said hey you know what i'm going to operate entirely off of what i'm carrying on me and i will only attack with a stick or a uh, alchemist fire or and i have started to get creative lay traps and shit like that just to mix it up but that was a lot of fun to do
2: yeah that actually and, sounds like a nightmare to dm for.
0: yeah yeah especially because my guy thrives at night right most yeah. of I, I played a halfling as well uh in retrospect if i had played an elf that needed to trance that would have been even better right so um because i just would have taken watches and hung out all night and been impossible to sneak up on yeah tarzan of the desert asks if you lived in a dystopian future like demolition man and only one restaurant survived what would you want it to be
1: A chain restaurant or any restaurant uh,
0: i think he means chain restaurant
1: should we go okay we'll go with
0: chain restaurant yeah kyle you rolled first what do you what do you think oh man it's a tough one
2: well you know what you know i'm gonna go with dave and busters because i like the idea of still having an arcade that's all right okay all right okay
1: i mean i'll probably do burger king i think i think i can go on bk for a while sure
0: it was it was an ongoing joke i don't think anybody knows this terry it was an ongoing joke um between me you and dan for the longest time that uh wednesdays were your cheat days because you could stop at burger king on the way to dan's house it was the closest 100%. restaurant
1: well also that, that nobody knew i was going there either apart from you guys the best
0: <laughs> you, would, you would walk in with your breath smelling like whoppers <laughs> drinking a coke or whatever and we were like yeah. hey, there he has it going like you're three minutes late yeah the drive through was a little slow today <laughs>
1: <laughs> traffic yeah
0: <laughs> traffic man yeah so if you go back and listen to the first 60 or so episodes assume oh, that dan and i are suffering through onion breath across the table. yeah <laughs> was, i'm kidding it was never that bad but like it was it was pretty like consistent yeah. like clockwork it was burger king you
1: know what I, this is what i like about the burger king new as well where we live in Vancouver. it's uh it's a shithole to be honest it's a, they've never changed that place since 1993 it's the same man i swear it's the same everything in there but that's why i like it
0: The only thing that has changed in that place was, well, I was in high school because I went to the high school that's like three blocks away. And so at lunch, we would get a lunch block, but also a free period. But the free period rotated throughout the week. Like sometimes it was in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon. If it lined up around lunch, you would end up with like an hour and a half off. Everyone would go down to Burger King or or McDonald's and have, have lunch there. To the point where one time that we went down to Burger King, they ran out of stock because the high schoolers kept coming in and then... Uh, they ordered a bunch more. Uh, but when they did it, there's something that went wrong with the order. When I, suddenly a bunch of roaches were there, so it shut right down for. Uh, they just could not figure it out for about two years, and finally it stabilized again, and it's good. But, yeah. <laughs> well, well, it's not good. It's exactly what it was in 1997. Like, well, let's be honest. But <laughs> two years it. to deal with a roach problem is bad. Oh, they had all that sorts is- of. I think the roach problem got the health inspector in, and the health inspector, like, cleaned the shit out of that place. Like, Yeah, It, it was rough. I, clearly, they cleaned the inside only, because the outside, it like, in the ghetto.
1: <laughs> I love it. It's such a
0: shithole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding, though. Like, I still stop there once a month. Um, oh, I love it. Well what can I say should I pick an unpopular decision to go like subway just to force everybody to stop eating burgers
1: no yeah i used to work with this guy for a little bit that was uh, he previously he was something to do with quiznos franchises worked for their corporate office or something and he hated Subway. They, he had a legit, like, turf war with Subway, this guy. And he was like, Quiznos is a far superior product. That's what he kept saying. It's a far superior product. It's a far superior product. Mm-hmm. So that's a real, that's a battlefield out there, man, in the sandwich game. So this is a hot take, really.
0: Well, I got, you know, the Subway is the most prolific uh restaurant in the world. There are more Subways than any other chain of restaurant. Anywhere in the world, yeah, makes sense. I'm. I mean, there's only ever two people working in a subway, so I think
2: that's what makes it so attractive. Yeah.
0: Also, I mean, there's no drive-through on it, right? So you can stick it in a strip mall. But you stop and think, how many are within like a ten-minute drive of you right now? You probably name three because every single shopping center has a has a subway in it, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Hey, 2010, I went to a subway in Kandahar. Smells the same, man.
2: Smells the same everywhere you go. Like exactly (laughs) the same.
0: Crazy. At least they're consistent. Yeah,
2: <laughs> they have to be. Like, I, I've worked in restaurants for a long enough time to know that uh, that is the whole thing about chains, right? Even McDonald's, the, the Starbucks is a big one where they're like, every store has to have the exact same food. If you go to a store in but fuck nowhere, Arizona, you better have the same stuff or it better taste exactly the same as a store in Canada.
0: I got to wow. say- we have in canada just for the longest time had the tim hortons versus starbucks conversation right <laughs> i think everybody's heard that that argument in a pub at least once and yeah. uh and i have always been staunchly on the side of tim hortons until recently um however that's one thing that i will always give starbucks is when i go in and order a whatever frappuccino i know what i'm getting i walk into any place like dunkin donuts or or being Around the World, or Tim Hortons, or any of the, like, cafe style, they brew it in the pot right there in front of you. Man, half the time you're getting something burned, right? It's been sitting there too mm-hmm. long on the burner, or it's, you know, too hot or too cold, or you're not getting the right amount of cream or sugar or whatever that you order in it. So I'll give that to Starbucks. Consistency, McDonald's too. You know what a cheeseburger tastes like. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for real. For coffee, I'm NW coffee, man. NW Coffee is my favorite.
0: Are they still doing Van Hoots? they did that for the longest time and it was always burned
1: i don't know i don't know what they're doing but i like it
0: harry i don't huh. believe you have taste buds <laughs> when was the last time you went through an AW coffee kyle i swore them off in like 2002 ah uh, i don't know i i know i've
2: had one sometime mm-hmm. in the last
0: six months and it was garbage i think i think again it's it's one of these these situations of that coffee, if you go to grab a coffee at one in the afternoon from AW, it has been sitting on the burner for the last three hours. But if you manage to get through at 6 30 a.m., you're getting a fresh pot of coffee every 10 minutes, right? Like yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't know.
2: I do I don't drink any of that shit coffee. I have very like high standards. If I'm gonna go get a coffee, I want a double long shot espresso. That is
0: my drink. Mm yeah okay a I, I, i'm a i'm a dark roast what are you terry just regular coffee
1: oh yeah 100 percent. i'll start off medium roast then i'll go to dark roast it's less caffeine i can't handle it that,
0: that much anymore I, w- I moved to dark roast when i was smoking and i could just couldn't taste regular coffee anymore i was smoking so much so i wanted something that would have a more potent taste so i went to dark roast and then never looked back so Speaking of drinks, actually, let's roll initiative again to mix it up so Kyle's not in the spot for the whole episode. I
2: got a well, 16. I also got a 16.
0: Uh, well, roll off, guys. Roll
1: off, Kyle. Well, first again, probably.
0: Now we got 7. No, I got, I got a, a 10. ten. Well, now All right, so Kyle, Terry, and me. Okay. Um, Kyle, what are your top – I don't think we're going to be able to list all of this. What are your top five beers of all time – is from Tarzan of the Desert. Alternatively, because people are instinctually hardwired to remember bad experiences, what are your bottom five beers?
2: Oh, yeah. I don't know if I can do all five. Uh, uh, So top beer I think I ever had was I used to work at a brew pub and they made their own nitro stout. And it was just like the silkiest. It was like a little bit chocolatey. It was amazing. It was If Guinness was 10 times better, that's what the stout was like. It was so good. And then also you'd mix in a shot of Vango Espresso Vodka, and it was mind-blowing. Second one, I really like Fat Tug. I like a strong IPA. Yeah, Uh, you always
1: always got Fat Tug when we play Call of Cthulhu. You you use Fat Tug bottles every time. Every time I see it, I think about you now,
2: actually. That's really sweet. Thanks, Terry. I didn't mean it like that. Don't make it weird. I'm just saying I associate you with that particular beer. Too late. I I already associated it. It's a core memory for me now.
0: I always associate Dan with a fat tug. Anyway, <laughs> let let's just do let's just do top two and bottom two then.
2: Okay, bottom two Molson Canadian. It can get fucked. Uh, it is the shittiest beer ever. Yep, and then Kokanee, probably. <laughs> oh, Budweiser, Budweiser, Bud Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Budweiser man. Okay, all right. Uh, top one for me. Yeah, my top one. 2015 when I drove from Saskatchewan to Vancouver, I stopped in Banff. And Stanley Park Brewing had a winter ale that just tasted like dark beer, chocolate, all that sort of stuff. But it was beautiful. And then it was gone the next year after that. And I've never seen it since. And it's my favorite beer I've ever drunk ever.
0: You and I, you and I went on that same, probably 2016, you and I probably went on the same pilgrimage trying to yeah. find that beer again. I've never met anybody yeah. else that remembers that beer, but that stuck out to me. That's crazy. there so you say Granville Island Winter Ale? No, Stanley Park. Stanley that Park. one is good.
1: Yeah. Granville Island Winter Ale, maybe my oh. number two beer, actually. But the Stanley mm-hmm. Park one was exceptional. And I was it was a really like romantic time in my life. I'm moving to Vancouver. I'm in Banff in winter. It was beautiful, and it was perfect. I've never found it since. Second, what do I like? Um, I like... Uh, I like... Uh, I like... Uh, what do I like? I quite like Sapporo, actually. I like rice beer. I like Sapporo. Just, a, I want to go the other way. I want to go away from craft beer to like a, a regular beer.
0: Fair enough. Do you have Do you have worst beers?
1: Ones that I don't like. Nothing that I can think of that I hate. I don't typically like German beer. I lived in Germany for a little bit, and I wasn't into that beer. The Weiss beer, I don't like it.
0: Not a fan of Grolsch.
1: Not, not really. No.
0: I uh, I gotta say for my favorite beers i i gotta drink a stout i i I need a loaf of bread in a cup that's that's my go-to i think it's pretty standard most people know at this point that i'm only content with a guinness in my hand but if you can find me a chocolate stout i will pick that up as a treat just about any time um on the opposite side of things because that's like my winter fall spring beer but on a hot day you don't want to drink a stout you want something smoother and clearer and i don't know what it is but like I will end up going with a Corona or a Moosehead depending on the mood. Like if I'm out sweating, if I'm camping and I want to just day drink my life away. Yeah. Right? I will I will just crush cans of uh of Moosehead, but my dad used to have Corona in the fridge, so that was something that I just like in my 20s would reach for a beer sometimes and and do that. So
1: corona. The two good ones, Corona, Moosehead, I like them both.
0: Um Moosehead, it was is Canadian, and it what actually was brewed not far from where my parents grew up, so they were very loyal to it. And I spent my very first beer was a Moosehead when I was fourteen. I was at my grandmother's funeral, and uh, my uncle came out to me and like he got me away from my mom, and he's like, "Hey, we're all drinking inside here. Have a beer." I'm like, "I'm too young for this." He said, "Drink the beer." So I did, and it was a moosehead, and it was disgusting, and I hated it. And I thought this tastes like a recycling plant smells like. But I, it is now one of my favorites. So um, the worst beers of my life: Budweiser. Budweiser is just shit. Yeah. Molson Canadian, when they I got pulled out, turned to shit too. Like I, I support that. There are there are a bunch of beers. If it's an IPA, I will not drink it. I don't care if it's free. I don't care if somebody brings it to me and gives it to me for my birthday. I will not drink an IPA. I have. Hopped enough hops in my life.
1: I think we've done it in Vancouver. We've IPA'd ourselves to death. And I don't mind them every now and again, but uh, I don't need it like I used to.
0: There are multiple places in the lower mainland here around Vancouver. There are multiple sections of the city where you can do an IPA pub crawl without like in within two blocks, like we've just done the microbrewery for the IPAs to death. So I don't know. I'm I'm just done with them. Um, I feel like there's a lot of sours now, which oh, I yeah. don't jive with. Oh, uh, you know what? I really like some sours, but they've got to earn it. They can't just be. We're doing a lavender sour because that's what we're doing today or, or yeah. this week. We've got a a plum sour. I mean, no, 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 no. To scale it back, some do it and do it right. And do it once. Yeah, the plan
1: can't it. just be to be more sour than the other the guy. That's that's
0: not good. Yeah. Um. Another one from Tarzan of the Desert. Tarzan of the Desert, by the way, one of my favorite names of the people that write in. He's got a number of of questions here. Uh. But one of my favorite names because I just picture Tarzan wishing for a tree and walking in his loincloth through the desert, getting sunburned. It's just always very funny to me. Um. Kyle, physically or emotionally, what is the worst pain that you are comfortable? sharing in your life. Oh
2: man, I think emotional would probably be when uh my dog died when I was 18 and he was like my best friend growing up, real close. Oh, that just it broke me. Still like almost cry every time I think about him. Uh but physically, physical pain is the worst physical pain. Oh, I fell off a swing set when I was a kid and I bruised my spinal cord.
0: Oh Damn. that was Damn. unpleasant. Uh, I don't I don't I don't fuck with spinal cords. That's no good. Terry, what about you? Oh
1: yeah, I just got hit. Physical pain, physical pain. Fortunately, I've been I've been very fortunate that nothing stands out to me. Touch wood. I've never been knowingly broken a bone yet. Might have technically broke my toes, so then at one point and just walked it off. But uh, I have no major thing, no major things yet. But hopefully, this guy has just jinxed me now. Tarzan of the desert, and that's it. I told the <laughs> universe, and they bumped me to the top of the list. Emotional pain. Oh, you're not getting my top, probably top three out of. No, we, we don't need significant- to end up in therapy. <laughs> yeah, nobody needs that. Um, but a significant one. Uh, something that Adam shares with me, actually, is you You handled a long distance relationship for a long time. I think I did it for about half as long as you did. But that was, it's it's so difficult when you're so dedicated to the person. And, you know, it's like, you're, it's, you're the happiest you've ever been when you see them. And you're the saddest you've ever been when, when you're apart again. It's the worst. So uh I know a lot of people deal with that in the world, but that's that's been a difficult
0: one in my life. Yeah, you're not wrong. There's a reason that the podcast always has a giant upswing in activity, like behind yeah. the scenes right before I I see Miaka. And then there's just like six weeks of nothing as I'm laying face down on the carpet afterwards. Right. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um for me, the worst physical pain that I ever had was I passed seven kidney stones in two days. Oh <laughs> yeah. That just kept on giving. And like it starts to hurt in your lower back and then and, and they just keep coming and you can feel them move through you. It's no good. Yes. It's no good. I I was a I was in my mid-30s and I was reduced to whimpering tears on the bathroom floor repeatedly for two days. I thought that I I, I sweated through my clothes. It was so bad. Um but uh the worst emotional pain was. Mieka had to cancel her trip due to COVID. She was coming out to see me for a month or for two months. It was the longest time that we were going to spend together and uh, up until that point. And she had to cancel that trip. And then two days later, my dad died. And then two and then the day, uh, like 12 hours after that, I lost my job and we went into lockdown and I didn't see anybody. I live alone. I sat in my basement with that. For months oh, that man. was the darkest anything ever got and as a matter of fact uh i i credit getting through the other side of that 90 percent of that is mieka and the other 10 percent is the podcast because we kept it running and we did a lot of the the only person i saw was dan because we were doing all of the mob mentality episodes you guys uh, kyle is that when you joined the podcast uh, i was yeah yeah and we were consistently editing and talking to people and getting clips and it gave me something to focus on because otherwise it was just there i remember saying i haven't turned the lights on in four and a half days in my yeah. house like it was rough it was bad yeah. and then dan would and, call me and be like we're going for a coffee because i need to ask you something about the podcast so we go for coffee and it was just his excuse to get me out of the house because me called him and said adam's not doing good get him out of the house so right. that was that was a rough period for me good man good dan man.
1: you're a you're a goddamn rock man i don't know how you do it People don't realize like you're so patient with everyone, and I I remember that time because I was one of the millions of people that I was losing my mind. I was losing my mind, and you were so patient, and you I think you handled so much of that time that for a lot of us we didn't realize until it gone past that time, and then we were like holy shit, we didn't we didn't we knew some parts, but man, you're uh, you're you're crazy.
0: <laughs> but I thank you. It Doesn't feel like that sometimes. You say rock, I say sponge. But um, let's uh, let's move on to the other thing before I end up needing a therapy session. Um, <laughs> here we go. Uh, this will be a group effort. I think well we won't go in order for this. We'll just start screaming this out. Tarzan of the Desert says, "Take the gang from Scooby Doo and assign them all a race, class, and background from Fifth Edition." These
1: things are getting harder. These questions. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. Okay. Race, race, class, and background. Yeah. See, it's easy to ask. That. That's a lot. That's a lot of. This is now like
2: fifteen things I got to come up with. Um, yeah, I need a. Book in front of me to like think about it.
0: I mean, clearly Shaggy is a furball druid with a with the urchin background, right? Like we're just getting that vibe off of him.
1: Can we just call him uh, urchin ranger and then just tie Scooby Doo in there with it? Can we just tie, can we just tie those two together?
0: Yeah, we could do that. I would have yeah yeah Scooby Doo himself. I would have said is a halfling. If we if we're gonna take him off a dog and give him an actual like race, I said halfling just because he's lucky as fuck all of the time.
1: Okay. What's Scrappy do? Tavern
0: brawler, I guess. Well, he's a gnome.
1: Gnome tavern brawler.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember who they all are. I am not one of these people that's up to date on my Scooby Doo lore because I know that there's a bunch of that shit that's come out recently. But
1: yeah. Um. um who's- uh. Oh man. Who? Fred. Videos.
2: Fred. I'm gonna say Fred is a totem warrior barbarian. Okay. You,
0: you Think so. I was gonna say paladin for him.
2: Um, yeah, but I don't know. He's just he's kind of dumb. Mm. He is kind of dumb, so he's just like, Oh, I'll protect you. What would I have him
0: as? Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, this is this is hard. I'd have to take a look at all the subclasses and shit that are out there, but yeah, is That's velma's five. clearly a wizard? Wizard, yeah, velma, yeah. well, inquisitive just... rogue, yeah, there you go. I like that better.
1: Well, okay, she's heavy. I feel like she's she's heavier in intelligence more than dexterity, though, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, but but rogues can be. Built with intelligence as their major stat. Dan did that with Lockheed. Intelligence was his number one stat. He was an inquisitive rogue, right? right? And he gave off Velma vibes every once. In a while. We have to get to the bottom of this. Let's use our logic on the thing and think it out. That makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, the villain of every episode is a changeling because it, they always have a different face on.
2: Easy.
0: Who am I missing? Except for
2: the movies where it is actually ghosts.
0: Daphne. Daphne. I'm going to be honest. I don't remember Daphne having a role in any any of the Scooby Doo. Right. Like the rest of it them all had like a whole bunch of agencies. that it bad to say purely sidekick or like love interest in most of the things that I'm thinking of. Right. So okay. like bartender <laughs> NPC. Bartender. She she's the party NPC. sidekick. Well, some kind of <laughs> cleric
2: maybe. Might have had dreams.
0: Yeah, cleric's not a bad answer. Yeah, I can live with cleric. I honestly like I. Uh, I don't even know where to start with this. I think that I would have a lot of fun do casting things into like into races and classes and stuff. But, man, Scooby-Doo is a hard one. Yeah. yeah. All right. Tarzan of the Desert also asks, what's your favorite homebrew thing that you've added as a DM or used as a player in your game? Examples being uh, homebrew feet, magic items, spell, rule, something like that. What's the thing that you're the most proud of adding to your game?
2: I always need more time. Yeah. Um... Well, oh, you guys... okay. I didn't come up with it myself, but it was uh like a pair of brass knuckles that I saw, and uh, they were called Thoughts and Prayers, and they did radiant and psychic damage.
0: That's awesome.
1: <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. I was going to be like, what did nothing happen afterwards? Uh, <laughs> <okay>. uh, <laughs> I like it. Thoughts and prayers. Ah, God. I don't know. I can't think. It's like. I don't really come up with homebrew items and stuff. I'm very heavily invested in my NPCs. Like, I put a lot of effort in my NPCs, and then I'll just pull magic items from the known D&D universe. I I honestly don't really homebrew a lot.
0: Do you have a homebrew rule that you rely on?
1: Homebrew rule I rely on. Uh, Yeah, I go against the drowning rules. I think, actually, I stole this from you. I do the the rounds. um, You know, one plus your com modifier, whatever it is, for rounds instead of minutes when you're in combat.
2: to kind of unlock that part of the game. That one's good. Uh, potions is a bonus
0: action. Yeah. I, yeah,
1: I suppose that's technically homebrew. I do that as well, yeah.
0: I don't let you draw it as a bonus action, but I'll let you drink it if it's already in your hand. Okay. But can't you draw things as part of your move action? As long as it's on your belt or in your pocket. If it's in your backpack, I'm not letting you dig through your backpack in the middle of battle as part of your movement. Yeah. Okay, fair. So yeah, I'm, pretty, I, I'm pretty particular about the shit you can get away with in the span of six seconds. Because I've got some greedy players that want to do this and this and this and this and this and just hog the spotlight just because they're excited. Yeah. But mm. there's been the conversation, I'm going to say about once a month, I go, Really? You think you can do all of that in six seconds? And it stops them cold. They go, Oh, all right. Well, I will save the potion for next round. Yeah. All right. You do that. So. Yeah. Um, My homebrew rule that I am unapologetic about is you re-roll ones and twos on anything relating to hit dice. So yeah, it, when you're rolling a character, when you're leveling, or when you are during a short rest, or someone is healing your a certain number of hit dice, because it's your resource, then you, you get to re-roll ones and twos. Potions and spells are straight up. That's all it is. But my potions... Okay, here's the other thing I'm really happy about. Your potions, uh, a minor healing potion is one of your hit dice. Uh, Medium one is three of your hit dice. Uh, uh, An extreme one is uh, is five of your hit dice. And so I hand out different levels of them so that it's an equal amount and we're not rewarding squishy wizards and punishing barbarians for just having it be a D8 or a D6, right? Yeah. Well, it's uh, 2D4 plus 2, I think, is like a regular one. Yeah, but I mean that's nothing for a, a barbarian, right? Yeah, true. So, and yeah. who's the one that needs them? The guy in the front. So let let him be let him be D twelve, and then I hand them out, you know, accordingly based on how beat up I think my guys are going to be. So, um, actually, I think my favorite homebrew item, Terry, was probably the knob goblin, just because it was consistently. It wasn't yeah. the fact that it was a knob. It was the fact that it would come screaming back into existence every morning at dawn and would drive your in game wife absolutely fucking crazy and pregnant, then, wife. Hmm?
1: pregnant wife
0: pregnant wife yeah she was having none of it and then uh and he would always die by the end of the night and he'd be he'd beg for death so that there was a bar bo- there was just a pile of bodies of this of this dead goblin the same goblin over and over and over again that would get reborn from nothingness within what was it 10 feet of your character every day at dawn
1: yeah it would yeah and would come screaming into the world as well Well,
0: at dawn no one was doing a stealth mission at dawn (laughs) let me tell you that it was.
1: but i if i remember rightly i wasn't supposed to have that item i think jamie had it and then the the last use which we didn't know was the last use before it was going to turn into this goblin for whatever reason i had it i insisted on using it or something i know this will work something and then i did it and then that's why the goblin came to me was it wasn't supposed to be me
0: no it was it was not and then (laughs) To great effect, it ended up being you, and it was very funny. Uh King of Rot says, There's been talk on the podcast before about playing out large battles and wars, mostly from Adam, uh, as someone who's about to throw a whole dang war into my campaign. Do you have any tips that are not the mini-game method? Mini game method being like Matt Colville, you like you end up like having cards and different cards equal different squadrons and they have different powers, and you're essentially playing Pokemon there for a little bit. Like there's there are all sorts of other like oh we'll stop and play a board game or let's play chess or whatever to to simulate the battle do you have any tricks mm-hmm. about actually running a battle
2: yeah
1: so this like, is the way i sorry carly go ahead you rolled no down. no
2: you got you got an answer ready i had a question
1: so this is the way i do i treat the way i'm running the war in my campaign is i treat the battles as an event the players have agency but they can only affect what they can affect around them within this overarching storyline that we have so the event is happening either way I also know who's going to win either way most likely but there will be or yeah I will know who the victor is necessarily and they'll can affect things within it so they can only and I use it as like a hex crawl essentially so I know the battles happening across this area and they can move between hexes if they want to where they'll have encounters every time they move between a different hex in the battle and then um, after so many rounds it will be over but I will already know which side was going to win
2: so do the players actually have an effect or is it like a because, Well they conclusion? Their
1: object Sorry, I wasn't clear on this part. Their objective in their game is not, hey, the five of you go and win that battle. It'll be mm-hmm. like, during the battle, kill that dragon. Yeah, okay. And that may affect something within the event, but they, I don't have it that they're rolling for the 10,000 troops on either side.
2: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Adam, you and I just recently talked about this on another episode. Uh, but I mean, for me, I don't think... 5e is the greatest system for giant battles set pieces. So I like doing giving them multiple objectives that they can complete. I would have it uh, like score it kind of in terms of what is the most important to the battle that's going on. Like, obviously, they'll have uh, each objective will have consequences to it, whether they do it or they don't. Um, And just kind of have points bar. So I'd be like, if you get. I'm just making up these numbers, but let's say you get 20 points, you get the best outcome in terms of the war. If you get between 10 and 20, then you know it is you still win, but uh, the side you were fighting for still takes amazing losses. If you're like zero to 10, then it's a pirate victory, right? You may have won, but you lost a larger battle. A lot of people died, maybe an important NPC lost their life, kind of thing like that.
0: I agree. And we are recording this now. By the time it comes out, it'll be like the campaign builder, builder will be episode 48 or 49, somewhere around there. Uh, we are going to actually cover mass combat for the campaign builder episode 52, 53, 54. We're going to spend three episodes talking about mass combat and dynamic encounters to have within it. But the just as a quick kind of glimpse at that idea, I've always been a big proponent of Get your guys into the battle, but have the battle be chaotic at initiative counts. If you want it to be more chaotic, then you run it like lair actions. And the lair actions should be when the different kinds of things. I I can't have seven or eight different squadrons of militia and keep right. track of all of the cal, uh, the cavalries that are involved. And also, we have spellcasters, giants, dragons, flying creatures, teleporters. Like, there's too much in a DD battle, it's chaotic. But what I can do is narrate shit happening at initiative count 20, 12, and 3 or something, right? So that is my players are involved. The chaos going on around them would be uh, everybody roll on initiative count uh, 13. It's going to alternate back and forth between the hag on the battlefield and the dragon on the battlefield. So if it is the dragon on the battlefield, then... Every other round of combat, everyone make a deck save to avoid taking the the breath weapon, right? As it sweeps through the region, right? And so it will be shit like that all the time. So you're doing your version of it, of like whatever your complicated objective is out there on the battlefield. Like, yes, go out and take out that warlord or uh, go blow up that bridge to stop their reinforcements or whatever it is that you're trying to do go rescue this squad that got cut off but while you are there dealing with it chaos is going off all of the time and i've got my notes written on the side but because of the fact that they can't see the notes and it seems to be happening at random throughout the combat uh it's going to feel a lot more chaotic and a lot scarier and like a war that you can't control my only comment on that is none of those layer action level things should be deadly. They should do damage, but or more likely, they should have condition effects. So, for example, if you get hit with the white dragon breath in the middle of, of a war, well, the white dragon breath has a range of, let's say, 120 feet, depending on how big the dragon is. He's 150 feet away. So what you're going to do is have your movement reduced by 10 feet around, For one D four rounds, as a result, getting hit by the blast that's not going to kill you. That is going to affect your objective. And so there's that kind of shit happening all the time. Uh, You guys know that you have to hold this position for the next five rounds. But if the if the enemy cavalry comes through, they may wipe out some of your reinforcements. So it's up to you guys to do something to interrupt the person blowing the horn, summoning the cavalry. You know, like it's it's that kind of shit all of the time, and it should be. Very clear, almost to the point of me being meta, saying this is your clear objective. This is everything you see around you. And I'll give regular descriptions, but you guys stick together as a group. This is the shit that's popping off around you. And don't be distracted by that, right? Just because there's a troll going absolutely berserk on the other hill over there and wiping out a bunch of your allies, you have a mission. If you go fight that troll, your mission will not get it get accomplished so yeah mm-hmm. so stay on Basically. task and so it's just almost a more involved skill challenge where they have control of being in initiative and being in combat and they've got the agency over what spells they want to cast and shit like that my other comment is uh speed up the rests a long rest takes an hour a short rest takes five minutes mm-hmm. that's going to keep your battle running that will keep it deadly and scary and you can run through a full battle in a in a long session and they will always have resources to play with you just let them know that you guys are hopped up on the special berry juice that the elven prince gave you which allows you to regenerate your shit faster so right yeah because it sucks to be like hey we're on night two of the battle We haven't slept yet. Nobody has spells. (laughs) Pretty sure that's what happened to the uh, Night King's army in the Game of Thrones at Winterfell. They just ran out of shit to do and they all just died. King of Rot says, if there are nations at war in your games, what creatures, beings, and beasts would you like to see join them? I'm looking for the cool factor. We all know giants, dragons, and beholders are awesome. What else could match them in vibes alone?
2: I mean, I think this is entirely going to depend on who these two factions are right like it, if you have a fae one side is a fay and the other side is aberrations right that's gonna hugely affect who you're gonna stick with it uh i mean if we're just going let's just say we have normal participants you know i i love Knowles.
0: yeah they're weird they're vicious they're crazy you know and they're an and- existential threat too because the more they kill you, the more they feast, the more they feast, the more of them there are, right? Yeah. If you're not careful, you are going to have a real null problem really quickly. Mm-hmm.
1: I have my war right now. I have uh, Kyle, we done? Sorry, I, I
0: took no, 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 go for it. Yeah,
1: I have um, I have Gith fighting alongside devils right now. In my, right. I know I have a dragon campaign, but it's a it's it's with backstories and things and pulling certain other creatures in and different factions Get involved now i have Gith fighting alongside devils fighting alongside dragons so they're cool. uh, very different types of stuff going on
0: yeah i think that honestly if you don't have devils demons or celestials somehow involved you're not doing a war right because that's where these guys are going to show up it's cool that you yeah. added the Gith. i'm excited yeah. we've got a Gith episode coming up in a little while in a few weeks so one of
1: my player characters is half Gith, and his um, grandfather is one of the big bads and he's full Gith, so that's where that came from. So as the Dragon War kicked off, he the one of the bad, so he's an ally, but the Dragon Side brought his gift to, to aid them.
0: Now, when you say Gith, do you mean that he's a gift he's half Gith Yankee or is he half he's Gith
1: Yankee, sorry, I just shot it to say Gith because I said yeah, all okay. the time he's not
0: he's not Gith. half Gith Confederate? No,
1: Gith Yankee. I don't know what that was that you said there, so I breathed past it.
0: <laughs> I think it's funny. Anyway, he's making um... a civil war joke yeah It'll it's, it's it. not a gift Yankee it's a gift confederate anyway moving on
1: uh, oh, uh, <laughs>
0: uh the uh there's always room for a hag and if you've got sides that are at war then your yugoloths should be involved somewhere because they are literally mm. fiendish which means they are not afraid to die because they will just go back to their plane of existence right so yeah. they are literal fiendish mercenaries that's what they're there for so yugolos are a great answer hags are always good having a kraken in the background is never a bad thing um i'm just trying to think what are the big epic pieces i think it'd be really cool to have opposing battalions of angels or two angels maybe that are that are fighting against each other due to a interpretation of a prophecy or something okay so the real heaven and hell
2: sorry the real heaven
0: and hell kind of thing no, not even. It's just it's it would be like there are two angels. They're not even the generals. It's like there are two armies going to war, but they have shown up, and the angel says, "Well, these guys are more just because these people are starving. They need the the um, resources, so it's more just to side with them and save them." But the like the other side says, "Yes, but they shouldn't be here on the land. That's against the law." We uphold the law, right? And so they're both right. They're just going to have to fight it out. And now you have different kinds of angels to fight against. Right, yeah. Yeah, all right. King of Rot asks, If you're playing a campaign arc with one shot centered around serial killers, and you decide to reveal the killers through their crime scenes, like in the movie seven, what do you fill the in between with so that your players don't feel like they're being dragged along from one murder description to another? So I guess the question is, how do you make an investigation interesting instead of just going from murder to murder to murder?
2: I mean, you could do investigations or not. Sorry, that's uh, interviews with victims, families, try to piece together who their enemies might have been uh who what kind of motive this person might have had what connects each of your victims um mm, 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 mm. i like the idea of uh finding symbols too where it's not something you know uh right like so in the campaign that i just started i'm gonna have a symbol uh these people that wear a symbol and it's of a burning book but i'm not going to tell them what it's about it's supposed to be like a secret society kind of thing
0: it's really good to, to link this to uh conspiracies right yeah
1: so the challenge that we have with the DD rule set is oh the, the DD game as a whole for this type of thing is the threat of de- death you don't feel as vulnerable even at lower levels there's like there's there's magic in the world, and there's there there's, you have all kinds of abilities, and when you're low level, so a mystery is hard to make tense in the D and D in the D world. I find you're probably better using something like the Call of Cthulhu backdrop, just removing all the Cthulhu stuff and doing your mystery in there, where the characters are a lot more vulnerable. Even the fact that it's dark is terrifying. You know, you're a lot, you're a lot squishier, and your resources are also limited as well because you're trying to look through libraries and newspapers and you know, questioning people that are not easy to get to and that kind of thing. So, I would suggest switching rule set or playing at very low level and trying to remove all of the magic and easy outs.
0: That's one thing that you could do to make it really interesting is have it. This area is has been permanently turned into a anti magic field. Yeah, that covers this section of town or this large manor where the murder happened or even the entire city, right? Like anti-magic field. So you are left with just your swords and your magnifying glasses and your hit points, right? Yeah. Another thing to add would be the killer is able to kill using a coup de gras. It's very simple. If this, they keep finding that uh, there's a mark on the person and kills them outright, even though they're one of the toughest people out there or shouldn't be able to get past dragonborn scales or whatever it is and it does anyway there's a a single maneuver that happens and i would telegraph that i've got a couple of instant kill items in my campaign one of them's a garrote if you can grapple with it that player dies on the next turn if they can't they have one round to get out of it and then they're done I so love it. um i have also done this in settings where you are cut off and there are only a certain number of npcs and people keep dying uh One of the ones that we did was in a, there was a murderer that was in a tent city outside of a walled city. And the wall, or the city that was walled was not letting anybody in. But there was a blizzard outside and there were 300 refugees. And people kept turning up dead in the, like, outside of their tents in the blizzard. Someone was luring them out and murdering them. And there was a huge, like, we need to find this person because our numbers are dwindling. Because they were killing, like, three or four people a night. So we did that. And because of the the fact that you couldn't go outside with making survival checks, you know, once a minute, it made it scarier. You were trapped. You didn't know which tent was going to be struck next. And you'd get there and say, who was here? And they would list, because they were like, by tents, I mean pavilions. They'd list 30 people. So you're writing lists and trying to cross-reference and figure out. One of the things that I love doing is giving a, if I'm going to do a mystery of some sort, I will put you in a culture you are not familiar with. It is considered impolite in this high society to speak with dead or to use necromancy spells of any kind. This person died of poison. We could not heal them because it's impolite. Somebody knew that and tailored this murder to be by poison yeah i
2: I would also like fix that by just going their soul is stolen they took it when they were murdered there is nothing you can connect uh, or you can commune with or you can't use revivify
0: either and there's a lot of stuff out there that lets you do that like the night hags bag of souls and there's soul coins for the infernal machines like there's shit out there that will just steal coins or uh, coins steal steal uh souls. So like that's absolutely a thing to do. Also, you'd kind of need a whole body to do that. So if a mind flayer eats your brain, your body's not whole. You can't get resurrected.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Okay. Here's one. Iron Meg Forty Four asked specifically me for some reason. Adam, what's your top three shows? slash movies, you would want to do a spoof campaign about uh excluding the mummy because we just talked about the mummy in a mailbag episode at length. Uh so guys, do you guys let's just pick one each, a show or a movie that you would turn into a campaign. Trying not to go too on the nose here. Let's re-roll initiative. It's been a while since we've done this. Eight, nine, Four. Eight, nine, oh
2: seven.
0: uh what What'd you get? A seven. Okay. Terry, you're first.
1: Um because of my love of Call of Cthulhu and D&D, I, uh don't uh know... What do I want to do? I mean, you know I'll do an obvious one, actually. I should do like Eberron and do like Carnival Row or something. That's uh, That gives me that that type of ruggedness that, that I get from, that I like from Call of Cthulhu. Uh, and it also gives me the fantasy from d d So I'll, I'll probably do that.
0: that. Yeah. Kyle, what do you got? Uh, you go first. I'm still thinking. I have gone on record as saying that I think Deep Space Nine would be an absolutely amazing campaign to run because you'd have just kind of like weird little adventures of for two seasons, then a small war for a season and then a big war for four seasons. Then shit just keeps getting weirder and weirder and you have shapeshifters that are infiltrating as well as you've got to go off of this station to go to other locations to solve little mysteries or go to the battle uh, like the front of the of the war. And like at one point you they lose control of their own station and they've got to run away and then come back and and infiltrate and get the station back like, there's a lot of shit going on in deep space mm. nine so I've, I've said that before i also think the star trek voyager would be phenomenal you start off you are teleported to the other side of the world get home yeah yeah and then teleport. you spend you know uh, the first third of it dicking about with little monsters of adventures of meeting people making allies you know learning things about different cultures and you kind of gotta get a, a world tour kind of feel and then they had the borg show up and you would have like this existential threat now you just fight like mind flayers or something for a third and then at the end what was the thing at the end they had what was it species terry you liked voyager right it was species i can't remember remember. four seven what something like that which were just like biological nightmares so i would bring in aberrations like crazy after that right like i don't think it's hard to sit down and grab some of these pre-streaming before netflix Um, those pre-streaming shows like Star Trek or Buffy or, you know, the the fantastic ones, take a Xena, Warrior Princess, Mm -hmm. right? Like you could take these and for the most part, they started off really episodic. And then as they go, they become more and more serialized. And you have constant bad guys and regular threats. And it's been long enough that these 20 or 30 year old shows will have slipped to the background in people's minds. And it might take them a long time to figure it out if you're creative enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah i also feel like
2: those shows have 26 episodes a season so there's just so much shit you can pick from
0: yeah instead of these six episode seasons we're stuck with now on shit right like yeah which i mean okay so hmm. honestly
2: i am drawing a blank so i'm just gonna take the most recent thing that i've been watching which is severance uh good yeah it's super fucking weird and it uh, has a whole bunch of like moral dilemmas that I never would have thought about with the premise uh and so yeah uh basically what happens in the show is they take a job where they're not allowed to know anything about the job so they get a microchip put in their brain and every day they go to work the microchip flips on they don't know anything about their outside life they're just in this cubicle and then as soon as they leave the microchip switches off, and then they don't remember anything from their workday. And I would love to do something where you have two players, or like each player has two characters that only share slight similarities, and you put them in wildly different scenarios. I don't know. I don't know how it would work, but I'm sure there's something in there.
0: It sounds a lot like a retelling of... Do you guys remember Dollhouse? The Liza Dushku back in like never God, four, six, somewhere around there? The premise of that one... It, only lasted a couple of seasons, but they did wrap it up. They knew ahead of time they were getting canceled. So they wrapped it up. But the premise is that instead of doing prison time, you could just offer your body to this corporation. And what they would do is they would take your personality away and you would have, instead of doing 20 years in prison, you do five years in what they called the dollhouse. where They would wipe your mind clean and then upload new skills and personalities into you. And then you would get hired by rich people to go be a bodyguard or be a chef or be a prostitute or be a an assassin. or And so it was the same actors going on different kinds of adventures for the first little while until they realized that some of these dolls were starting to retain some of the memories of their previous jobs. And then it started to fuck with them. And there was a lot of like a lot of moral questions about what makes a person a person. It was actually a pretty mm. decent little show. So Wow. Nice. Um. On to the next one, though. I could talk about old TV shows forever. On to the next one, Snowasaurus Rex asks, What's your top three mummy movies, excluding the mummy? I balked at this one on the Discord because we already did a whole fucking episode about these. So I said we already did that. Tarzan of the Desert asks, and here's the fun question, guys. Okay, then what is your favorite mummy movie? But it's spelt like mother. Like, what's your favorite mummy movie? X-rated or otherwise. Okay. Mrs. Delphire. <laughs> You came prepped for that one, hey, Kyle? <laughs> as soon as you
2: said mommy, I was like, oh, dude, right there.
0: You didn't go with Bambi or, uh, or The Land Before Time for that?
2: It's I, I Can you really say that Bambi is a mommy movie, considering the mom dies within the first 10 seconds?
0: Uh, oh, look, you're 45 minutes in before the mom dies, but, I mean, doesn't, isn't that the driving motivation by the whole movie? Yeah, I guess, I feel like
2: you'd only pick that if you wanted to kill your mom, though.
1: I'll go a completely different direction. I'll say Bird Box. I thought Sandy B was good in that. Sandy B was yeah, Bird Box yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: You guys ever seen Mother Dearest or Mummy no. Dearest? That is a mm-hmm. fucked up, loosely based on a true story. Uh, story about an actress in Hollywood who uh, lost her absolute shit on her daughter as her star, the the mother's star was fading. She was getting older, not getting cast in shit anymore. And it's a thriller about her terrorizing the people around her as she loses her grip on reality. Oh shit! That sounds pretty interesting.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: It's one of those ones from like like it's older. I should look it up real quick here because I just want to make sure that I uh, that I'm getting my info. It's been years since I've seen this. Yeah, 1981. Oh. So it is an older film, but uh, it stars uh Faye Dunaway in it. Yeah, and it's biographical psychological drama, and it is uh, the story about Joan Crawford. Uh, who takes in two orphans, and at first their unconventional family seems happy. But after Joan's attempts of romantic fulfillment go sour and she's fired from her contract with MGM Studios, she becomes callous and abusive towards her daughter. Uh, and everything just goes right off the fucking rails. It is an intense ride. And it, it, you know, back from the early 80s when like those thrillers didn't hold a whole lot back and like the acting is top notch. So, yeah, nice. Okay. I, I changed my mind. Psycho. There you go. There's a mummy movie. There yeah. was one. Sure. <laughs> um. All right. I. Uh, it's funny. Like they asked us about, you know, what would the what spoof campaign would you do, or like what uh, what series would you pull from? And none of us said Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or anything. Right. Too easy. I, I'm just not interested. Sorry, that uh-huh. came up because I was thinking of mummy issues, and that is just Game of Thrones through and through um acid dialogue asks what instruments have you played in the past and do you still play any of them
1: uh i used to play bass stuff when i was growing up uh, and probably stopped stopped in my 20s actually uh probably like 10 years ago i haven't played it since uh but i still have it it's on the wall next to me it's over here um so that's the only instrument i played played in bands when i was growing up and
0: you mm-hmm. play the guitar at all or is it just the bass
1: no i actually went straight to bass because i could get going faster because all my friends jumped into they jumped into bands and they have been playing instruments like drums and guitars and stuff for a while and i hadn't so they were like oh well just can you, can you just play bass can you just learn some punky riffs like over the next few um the next few weeks i'll like, say yeah i'll pull that out so that's how that started
0: nice Kyle. Uh, i played the recorder when i was a child
1: <laughs> that's not an instrument <laughs>
0: The only instrument that Kyle plays is the heartstrings of lonely women. That's <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs>
1: I thought that earlier when Kyle was talking about his cooking, I was like, "This guy likes to date, man. He knows this guy knows the dating game." I'm not surprised <laughs> that he can cook.
0: The only uh, stringed instrument that Kyle plays is the G string. <laughs> Classic. I always wanted to learn how to play the piano, though. I would love to play the piano. I just don't have the. I don't have it in me these days to devote any more time to another thing. I think the piano is yeah. my favorite instrument. I, I love the the electric bass. Love it. But there's just something clean about a piano that I just fucking love. Yeah. Um I speaking of bass, I grew up playing all of the bass brass instru- instruments. So baritone, euphonium, trombone to a much lesser degree. Uh and then I even dabbled with trumpet and tuba a little bit, but like I I wouldn't say that I could play any of them anymore. I could pick it up and I could make noise out of it, but it's I don't, I I then went and smoked, chain smoked two packs a day for the best part of a decade. I am not, I don't think I could push the wind through a fucking tuba again if I tried. So I would just pass out.
1: So how did you get into bass instruments then?
0: No, because they all use the bass clef. That's all. So um, what happened was I wanted to, okay, so here's the story. I wanted to join the high school band because I was in the middle school choir, but that wasn't, you know, manly enough for me when I was like 13 and, you know, just full of shit, like every 13 year old boy. But I still wanted to be in that group because the girl that I liked at the time was in the band, which meant that every other day she would have band class and every other day she would have English class. Whereas everybody else in the school had to have English class every day for a semester, whereas hers ran for the whole year. So I wanted to be in that class. It amounted to nothing. I never had a moment with that girl ever but I signed up to play uh, the last instrument sitting there. I walked in and went, I don't know what any of this is. It's all the same. And my teacher at the time said, well, there's no one playing the baritone horn. And I went, okay, do do I do solos? And he laughed and said, absolutely not. This is not a solo. (laughs) Fucking great. Give it to me. I will hide in the back. So, <laughs> yeah. That's such a
1: dude thing. Only a dude would go and learn an instrument he has no interest in
0: because
1: he might get into yep.
0: <laughs> yep, I I I have to admit that uh, for a couple of years in high school, I definitely was motivated entirely by the girl that I liked. This week, what is she doing? I will be interested in this. Yeah. All right. Well, at least you got an eclectic range of skills. You know what? I actually kind of, like, I I ended up having to do stagecraft as well. Like, I was involved in the theater and stuff, but I didn't want to build sets. I didn't care. But I know, like, I'm pretty good with paper mache and shit, and I can make, like, realistic body doubles out of chicken wire and shit. Because of our our plays that we had to do, I joined the stagecraft because the the girl that I liked was in stagecraft. Like, I actually got a couple of weird, bizarre little things out of that. I... Anyway, that's there you go. You can fake your own death now and have. Um, (laughs) episode or sorry, question number 18 King of Rot again says, So I started an online West Marches game group with a bunch of people who I know but I don't want to include in my home game because there's too many players. However, some of them are pretty new to D&D, like they've played a game or two, but they don't have rule books or dice. Any tips or tricks? Terry, this is a great question for you because you introduced almost your entire table to D&D. Mm-hmm. How'd you get them involved?
1: You have to you you have to guide them through it, and you have to make it easy. The, the instructions have to be simple and concise. If, you have to talk to a new player like you're talking to a child, but not condescendingly. You have to say so i have a new player coming in soon she has no DD experience but she really wants to join my table my part is like level 12 now i was like good luck i'll try and help you but it's just going to be a matter of okay chloe it's your turn don't worry about the time limits that the other guys have for combat what do you want to do okay i want to hit it and then just don't be like okay what kind of attack team you work? worked it i know what she has okay i know you have a sword roll the d20 okay and you modify modifier will be this and just be simple with it um and then because it's repetition that gets it in for new players it's not you constantly telling them it's them watching it over and over again and doing it over and over again so just keep telling them the steps concisely one at a time each time
2: yeah uh, so is it more about how to introduce someone or is it you repeat so, the
0: question so the west March's game style is that you essentially send a blast out to a bunch of people and say hey this is the, you'll have like a chat of 20 people or a circle of friends that are like way larger than a D&D group could be. And mm. then you say, hey, I'm doing this adventure for the next two to three sessions. Who is in first come, first serve? And so then a bunch of people sign up, you run it. And then when it's done, everybody gets a little bit of loot and you say, okay, cool. And then, you know, I've taken a week off. And then two weeks later, you say, okay, hey, back out to the group. So, everybody, I'm running this kind of game, or here's another, here's the plot line. It's gonna be uh, beholder based. It's gonna be uh, mystery for three sessions, and it's gonna be really dark and grim. Who wants to come check this out? Everybody has got a character or two made that's ready to go, and they just grab whichever character they wanna play that week. And if they make it, they show up, they, they get to keep playing. It, as I've seen it, it's usually first come, first serve, although I know a lot of players or a lot of DMs say, you know, you can't play two campaigns back to back unless we need to fill slots, right? So everybody gets a turn, that kind of shit. But when you've got way too many players, when you've got people that don't have access to books or dice or anything else, but they want to try it out, Mm -hmm. how do you get them involved?
2: Mm -hmm. Interesting.
0: I mean, I would try to
2: do it as a group, right? Like I would probably try to single out the first time players, bring them all over and do like a group introduction, keep it easy, you know? have them playing level one or level three characters and you know patience is key right you want to encourage people to come out of their shell a little bit you know uh make sure that you're asking questions and just being kind and encouraging and i think that's really all you can do half of it you really have to leave up to them right you they have to take the initiative to learn some of the stuff themselves, either buy a book or read a book or borrow a book from somebody else. I'm sure you can find these books at a fucking library and just be like, listen, this, these are the important things you need to know. Just read through them and then we can go over it. And I don't know, I would probably try to stagger what we're doing, right? Like maybe one day we're going to have just role-playing and then another day we're going to do just combat. And then another day we're going to do
0: just exploration and,
2: Try to ease it in. Yeah. And just, I think, uh,
0: yeah. I, I think that that's, what you guys are saying is absolutely fantastic. I'm going to think about the resources here for a minute, though, for people. First of all, if you're playing online, you don't need dice. You can do it off of dice apps, mm-hmm. right? Especially if you're going to use Roll20 and stuff. A lot of them have dice built right into the app. Um, but even then, I'm moving their characters around on the, on the tabletop app. Like, I'm not going to let them do it. I'm not going to worry about minis so much. I will focus on... If like we're in person and we're playing at a table, I will use little tokens with their name on it, their character name, and just move it around a board, right? Like little Mm -hmm. cardboard cutouts even. Uh, I would pre-generate characters, level three, give them enough options to do stuff, but not enough you know, to overwhelm them. Or to hang themselves. Yep. And uh, then what I would do is, I personally would jump on D&D Beyond. I don't love it for character creation shit. Um, I think it's very limiting for DMs, but if I'm teaching new people... I will go by on DD Beyond Journey through the Radiant Citadel, um, Candle Keep Mysteries, uh, Tales of the Neonic Portal, and um whatever else I can find on there. There are all of these little like level one, level three adventures in all of the campaign settings. Like Theros has one, Ravnica has one. Eberron has one, Spelljammer has one. And like you can go through each one of them and like play all of these really simple, low-level, easy to understand stakes that are meant for new players that have not that have either not played the game before or never played in this world, like you've never been to Ravnica. That adventure understands that and introduces Ravnica to you, right? And then you can just run a series of these things because they're relatively cheap on D D Beyond and uh you're not gonna break your bank doing that. And then I would probably have a two session zeros, one which is kind of standard, and then one that explains, here are your options. We're going to keep it to the player's handbook. Uh, I'm going to build your classes for you, but you can choose your background and you can choose the race you want to play. Elves, dwarves, humans, half-orcs, half-elves, halflings, and and gnomes, right? And grab them all and everyone will be like, oh, I'm going to play this. That way you don't end up with goliaths or plasmoids with new players, right? You're not going to end up with any of the weird imbalanced Sword Coast Adventures guide Battle Ragers and Purple Dragon Knights, right? So you're going to get the more streamlined, the more balanced, easier shit to do, right? And then mm-hmm. you build the character sheets for them and you give them the items and you let them know that here, this is what you want and if, and you can build it for them. If the bard wants a fucking dog and that's the only reason that they're choosing, you know, ranger over bard, give, them, give the bard a dog. You have control mm. over that shit. Just let them do it. Don't be rigid, right? So yeah. um, number nineteen. We're gonna we're gonna finish off with another couple of King of Rock questions. Yeah. Uh, what are the funniest three things your character has ever caused or done? I know they're good things,
1: but now we've got to think. But...
0: um one of oh, my I favorite one of my favorite running jokes with your i I'm gonna give you guys just a little buffer here to think about this. My favorite running joke of Carrie's uh Terry's character, uh Solomon Duke was that he had constant coffee breath, and he would always breathe in people's faces.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, talk in people's faces, not like, <sighs> No, no, just you in. just get,
0: you get really close, and you would make a point of saying, my coffee breath is going to whisper in their ear. <laughs> and it was like, it was uh, all uh, really funny. <laughs> so, took
1: that from my geography teacher. Shout out to Mr. Jeffries. Uh, that's, that's where that came from.
0: That's, that's awesome and unfortunate. <laughs>
1: um one of my favorite things i did i cast reverse gravity on a ship once and that was just really fun might seem to be on the nose a few people have maybe done that before but it was a very fun experience for me to do that it caused a lot of chaos and i enjoyed it a lot uh, do, I so
0: what... do i remember that terry was that you did that in my campaign didn't you
1: i did that in your campaign yeah. yeah but the rule was it goes up and then it rotates so the yeah. ship was just rotating around it had a full crew and then i dropped it i think the crew the crew on the top came down came out into the water, and then I dropped the spell, so the ship fell on top of them.
0: Yeah, just killed everybody that was on, like, above deck, so pretty good.
2: That is a good use of the spell. Uh, For me, okay, so when I was first getting into DMing, um, you know, I put a little too much work and maybe emphasis into uh, the story I was building and didn't really think about what the players were going to do with it. So I made an NPC that was supposed to die off immediately, right? Like he was supposed to set the scene for everybody else, you know, uh, establish the danger. And then my players immediately brought him back to life. And then I was just stuck with this NPC that I didn't want because he was like, uh, he was a triplet. So the other two were supposed to survive and then come along, you know, and the players just kept asking me what because they realized i didn't want this fucking npc so they made it their job to keep it alive and constantly ask me what the npc is doing (laughs) i love it
0: (laughs) i've done a bunch of stuff as a dm that i think is funny um Every once in a while, I'll do something quirky or cute or or interesting with it with an NPC. I never get to be a player. I mean, the last time I was ever really a player, I was uh, I did Bargus for you, Terry, but I didn't really have any comedy moments. My character was the straight man in that group, right? Like, yeah, he was there to heal. I played the character that, like, the, the um, Gloomstalker assassin in Dan's campaign. That murdered Tyler and Brad's characters and and killed everybody and then fucked off with their favorite NPC. Um, so like I haven't played comedic characters except I'm doing a one shot right now. Uh, it's not it's a two shot. We knew it was gonna be. I'm doing this two shot right now where I got I'm getting to play the path of the giant barbarian. Um, so the idea is that he is a Goliath and he is known as uh, Ocello the brutalator. And uh, the Brutalator, that's what it is. Uh, Ocello the Brutalator. I didn't realize when I chose the name that Ocello is actually a word in, in Italian and Dan happens to know it and it means little bird.
1: Little bird?
0: Little bird, Ocello. Yeah, so when I announced that I'm Ocello the Brutalator, he was like, I don't know what to do with this. And it defeated him. Like it, like he was so confused for a number <laughs> of like of rounds uh, trying to like say my character's name It was completely by accident, Um, but it didn't help that Ocello the Brutalator, who was a a Goliath gladiator that could make himself large size and beat the shit out of things, was also a really soft-spoken guy. And he just wanted to be everybody's friends. And often he would run into the enemies and then offer them a truce and then say, if you want, we can give you refuge and you can be refugees and I'll, I'll introduce you to my friends. And then he would take them by the hand and walk them out of the dungeon over to where the town's guards are and say, this is my new friend. Please look after him. And then go back into the dungeon and fucking wreck house. Uh, So he was, he was a pretty funny character to play. Dan was fucking defeated. He did not know how to handle that. (laughs) Um, The last question we have is how many times has your game group left a city or town after reducing it to rubble my players have done this three times now never i've actually never had that happen
1: i've never had that happen either they did do it to a tavern that's classic but never for a city i even though they're you know they're superheroes i always make them feel very small in their city there's there's thousands and thousands of people around them. there's a lot going on i try to make them feel like they're not superior in a city
0: In 3.5, it happened all the time. In 4th edition, it was less frequent, but it still happened. And in 5th edition, any time that I've had a city or town just decimated, it's always been because the players were fighting the bad guys and the bad guys set the town up to get destroyed, right? We've had cities and towns destroyed. We've had a couple of floating uh, cities get sunk or thrown off a waterfall. We've had, I'm trying to think, Terry, you did an evacuation one time of an entire castle and city um, that was getting yeah. stepped on by an enlarged, invisible uh, and scribe proof Tarrasque. Right. But there's, there hasn't really been... A, I, I instill a level of lawfulness in my players. I discourage murder hoboism for the most part. Yeah, uh,
2: I don't know. Just that scale of destruction. I think I try to avoid. I yeah. am much more. I prefer the subtle destruction. I want to destroy them emotionally, and <laughs> you lose something in the big picture like that.
0: Also, like at that point, you're fucking up people's livelihoods and there are consequences in my homebrew campaign
2: Mm. as there should be
0: yeah so yeah i've done evacuations i've done city leveling level of shit but it's been plot points that often the players were trying to avoid and if the city sunk or got destroyed or whatever it was usually out of their hands and they were trying to find the best way to weather the destruction instead of even just stopping it so i've gotten to the point i think in my DD career where if we're going to be murder hobos, it's going to be an evil campaign Mm -hmm. or it's going to be one shot, right? Like, I'm not really not really um, supporting that level of play anymore. Although a lot of tables will still be doing that, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I got to ask, how murder hobo-y are your tables right now?
1: I don't know very murder hobo-y. Well... Not on like a grand scale. They'll they will try their luck sometimes if they think they can get away with it. They're a bit you know they're like lock the you know we'll take care of this. They're, yeah, they're a bit like that, but
2: it's not a trail of destruction. Uh, well, I think I was the worst offender with it in my party, and now I just I just started a campaign. We're like one session in, so I can't really say at the moment. We're gonna have to see how things pan out. Maybe James though. I feel like it's gonna be James.
0: James is Jane, You have Anthony as well. James and Anthony will be your murder hobos. James, yeah. especially. Yeah. I have. I, sorry. I wonder what
1: that says about you know when we get a little bit of power, even with our D, our fantasy characters. I remember it with with Titus one time Adam, where there was the those that ambush at the side of the road. Yeah. And there was and I was so disgusted at how shit it was that I went up and I like told them off, G- gave them my pole arm, told and just completely, you know, abused them over this and that was a display that was a power dominance over these npcs you know that's what
0: we do so i, I was a big believer at the time and like even put low level threats in front of a mid-tier party you guys were like level eight or 11 or something like you were you're were getting up there in power and these guys were clearly like cr2 bandits and Terry just walked up and said, Stop it, stop it. You're an embarrassment. What would your wife think? And, like, here, yeah. you hold my weapon. And then he hands it off to one of the bandits and turns the rest of them and said, what is wrong with you? And like, <laughs> a strip off of them. It was fucking hilarious. And they like, they apologized and gave him his weapon back, and they slunk back to town like absolutely humiliated by this moment.
1: But but that was because I knew I could just kill them, you know. And I think that's when we started to become murder hobo. was like you get to level three or four, and the shopkeeper's not giving you the price that you want, and you're like, well, we can kill you now. Like we we have we have level three ability now. So that's where it starts,
0: I think. I remember the moment that you decided to not be a murder hobo, and it was the <laughs> moment uh, Jamie was playing a barbarian, you were playing a fighter, and you guys had a captive, and the captive was uh, it was an orc. It was he was tied up, and he was on his knees behind a wagon, and you guys were interrogating him, and you refused to be helpful because the roles just weren't going in your favor, right? But instead of waiting and trying again later, Jamie said, all right, I'm going to cut his head off then. And Terry, your character went over and was like, hey, you're absolutely not. And uh, you reached out and grabbed his sword by the blade and said, I'm not going to let you kill him. And Jamie said, Jamie turned to me and said, I'm going to push my sword through his hand if he doesn't fucking let go. And Terry looked at me and said, you know what? It's not worth my time and effort. Fine. Kill the orc. But I'm having no part of this. This is a bad decision. Turned around and like walked away. And that was very much we never really had a a murder hobo opportunity after that, Mm -hmm. because in that moment, Jamie saw that there could be nuance because he was very used to burn down the tavern and leave no prisoners. Right. So um, so I I really appreciate that level of nuance in in characters. I will say, though, James is a murder hobo. I ran an evil campaign. Terry, you Mm -hmm. sat in on that one. Yeah. That was, you and Dave were not necessarily out there to murder everything. You were out there for your own personal gain. Everybody else was there for bloodshed.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it threw me off because I wasn't accustomed to that. Because you know the table that I was with before, it was very, we weren't like, it was a completely different dynamic. It was a very different game. Yeah.
0: Which is not to say we didn't have fun. That, that evil campaign was a blast. That was great. We got lots yeah, of laughs lots out of so it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. But yeah it really does depend on on your table do you guys have any final thoughts anything you want to circle back on for this mailbag anything you'd like to uh try again on an answer
1: i just want everyone at home to know that it's hard right you guys think really you think long and hard about your questions and sometimes it's like you're asking us 15 things in one when it's like a race class and background for each character in this series <laughs> it's a lot so i hope you don't think we're uh, sometimes that you know we're, we're trying to come up with answers on the fly it's tough look at listen to me taking it all that seriously now now i'm like <laughs> completely invested in i'm like i'm starting my mailbag answer see the uh, not oh, great
2: <laughs> <laughs> some of these i do wish i could see beforehand right like know what i'm getting into and i would have a better response
0: i do everything in my power to collect these and unless there's something very direct which is like, hey, what are the what's literally the best mount by the stat blocks? I will actually go look that up and I'll throw the answer in so that whoever's reading it has that at their fingertips. But for the most part, the shit like we got today, I will skim it when I copy and paste it into our spreadsheet, but I don't read it. So it's a surprise for me a lot of the time. Um, I gotta say though, for anybody else writing questions, think about the different people on the podcast. Stop asking me questions. And start asking others questions because i am on most of the episodes and you know my opinions already <laughs> <laughs> and the strength of this of this podcast at all it's a mimic the strength is that it's it's different people with different opinions and different experiences coming at it with different inspirations. so um ask dave and james and kyle and megan and uh, ask roman a question because hell, he's doing stuff like Throw it out there. Let throw these questions out and we'll see. Uh we'll see who who's gonna answer what. Cause I think Terry, you and I have done dozens of these now.
1: No, I'm selfish with this one though. I do like it.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. So ask me well, did like I didn't
1: like it. <laughs>
0: uh all right. So that's it for uh for this mailbag. We'll probably do another one, or rather, we will definitely do another one the next time that we get another 20 questions uh in from you guys. Feel free to ask on our subreddit, r slash it's a mimic, or uh if you are one of the patrons, uh go onto the Patreon Discord and you will see that there's an entire channel there that is dedicated to the mailbag questions and Often you get an immediate answer to a lesser degree, and then we answer it again on the podcast anyway. So Uh, thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch, and a Patreon. These episodes and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. I feel like all of our trolls have stopped asking questions like they've done the the like, what do you what do you think of Nutsack tastes like? We don't get those questions anymore.
1: Yeah, they were all legitimate questions.
0: Yeah, like the yeah. only weird one this time around is the mummy with what's your X rated mummy movie, which yeah. I mean, clearly is sexy stepmom. I am gonna say 14 was better than the previous 13, but you could you could make an argument for 12.
1: I didn't even. I remember it was X-rated mommy movie. I just gave a regular mommy movie.
0: Very <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> <laughs> there, there I prefer my mother's chaste. Thank you.
1: Yeah, bird is uh, British slang for girl, though. So in British slang, I said girl box. So it works <laughs> out. There you go. <laughs> so it's still legit.
0: <laughs> there you go rescuing us, putting us back in the R rating when we almost got away from it.